Uh, my name is Hal Merritt, and I'm the uh, discipleship pastor here at Grace. And uh, I'll say this, if you have not experienced Grace Family Church on the weekend yet, uh, this would be a great weekend to, to join us. We are starting, we're in our second week of a series, uh, Tough Questions. So we're just asking like, the tough questions you asked for. It. And last week we talked about, is hell real? This week I'm going to be talking about uh, whether, uh, why, why is God good and he allows suffering um, and a couple other things. So if you haven't checked it out yet, check out this weekend at uh, any of our seven locations. Uh, there's a lot of places uh, to find us there, but we are in our series on Revelation here, and Revelation is always an interesting topic to talk about because everybody wants to talk about it, or they think they want to talk about it, then you start reading through it, and you're like, this is weird, because uh, when you read through the book of Revelation, there's a lot of imagery, and, and really the reason it's like that is because we're not supposed to understand it till it happens, but I, I, I had, a, um, I had a, stu- a student leader when I was in youth ministry uh, that used this kind of for his advantage. We were on a mission trip, and he had a group of sixth grade boys. And if you've never been around sixth grade boys before, God bless you. Um, but they're, they're, they're interesting and they, they seem kind of timid and tame, but all of a sudden when they would get back to the room, they went nuts the entire night. And you try to get them to go to sleep and then one would fart and then they would lose their minds because uh, that's the, the epitome of what it means to be a sixth grade boy. And so he got so mad about it the first two nights that the third night he goes, okay, I'm gonna deal with this. And he, he read to them out of the book of Revelation. Uh, he, he read the chapters that have to deal with the dragon and all that kind of stuff. And these sixth grade boys, were so terrified that they all slept in one bed with the lights on <laughs> that night. And he was laughing and I was like, you, you can't, you can't do that, man. Just... But here, here's why I, I, we want to talk about this today is I, I would say this, look, I, everybody loves to talk about the end times type stuff. And, I, and, and here's what's interesting is every generation have us thought that they were in the end times, every generation. Do I believe we're closer? Of course, because every year we get closer. But I think really understanding what these seven churches are walking through, I think is more important for us right now than even understanding end times because what these churches are walking through and what they're, they're going through in these times is actually the same things that the American church is dealing with right now. It's the same things that we, we walk through. It's the same things that we are dealing with. And what you see in this is you actually see, if you, you missed it last week, uh, Pastor Mark talked about it. Jesus shows up to John. Uh, Jesus shows up to John. He's on the Isle of Patmos. They tried to kill him by boiling him in oil, and that didn't work. I can't imagine that not working. Uh, and so they're like, well, we can't kill you. So they sent him to the Isle of Patmos. And there Jesus shows up to him and says, I want you to write these to these seven churches. And I want you to tell them what they're doing well, but also the things where they are missing it. And here's why this is important, is because where these seven churches are, it's all in what would be considered today modern-day Turkey. Modern-day Turkey. It was the, the center of Christianity, the center of Christianity. That it was where it was exploding. Yet today, if you would go to the church that we're talking about today, Pergamum, there is not one church there. There's not one church there. I think a lot of times as Christians, we can get so used to being around other Christians. We can get so used to the idea that America was a Christian nation or never really was. And we can think that and go, oh, well, it's never going to go away. And that's exactly what they thought, is they thought this will never end. This will never go away. And so what you see is you see John, who is the last disciple who is alive, pinning these things down from Jesus as warnings for the churches at that time. But they're also warnings for us where we are right now. Now, I want to give you a little bit of history of Pergamum. It's, uh, it was built on top of a mountain. It was the high place in the region. And, and so you, you've got 
about 60 to 150,000 people, which was massive. And so this area was actually an incredibly rich area. Uh, they, they said this, that Alexander the Great actually put billions of dollars of gold in this city. And so because it was so affluent, everything was built there. They had the best of everything. And so uh, they actually had the temple of Zeus on one side. They had temples to Dionysus and Athena. They also had the emperor's image, a large emperor's image that people would come around from miles to worship. And so this was a massive place of worship. Now, here's what's interesting is back then, especially when they would worship other gods, worship and entertainment went together. And so not only was it a great place of worship, but it was almost considered like the Vegas of the area. Like they had all the entertainment, they had all the fun, they had all, all the sexual things that were going on in that time. On top of it, they also had uh, what was the, considered the very first healing center. They had like a spa. Now, it's probably very different than the spa we had right now, but they had dream therapy there. They had sleep changers, chambers. They had alternative healing. They actually had a spring there that they thought was the fountain of youth. And here's why I'm saying this. Because the people in Pergamum, I think, are a lot like Americans in this idea. We have it so good, why do we need God? And I think that's where we are many times. Because it's very easy in this country to go, what do I need God for? What do I need Jesus for? And they're dealing with it. I mean, we would, if we lived in those times, we would go, this isn't very good. But for them, it was incredible. They had everything they needed. They had, they had worship, they had entertainment. They had all these things. And we can get so caught up in the amount of entertainment and the things that we can be a part of here that we can lose sight of what we're supposed to be and what we should be doing as the church. And what the Church of Pergamum did, and we're gonna get into this, is they go, I want the best of both worlds. I want the best of both worlds. But when we look in Revelation 2, that's where we're going to be, uh, this, this whole message. You can look at Revelation 2, verses 12. It says this. It says, write this letter to the angel of the church of Pergamum. This is the message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. If you remember last week, Jesus had a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. It says this. It says, I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne. It's kind of an interesting thing to say. And you know what's interesting about Tampa? I don't know if you guys know this, but they did, a, they did a survey and the top 51 metropolitan areas, Tampa was number 50 on the number of people that go to church. Like Vegas is above Tampa. Just something to think about. It says, this is where Satan has his throne. It says, yet you have remained loyal to me. He's actually affirming them. He goes, but you've remained loyal to me. It says, you refuse to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's cities. And so what we see right here is we see Jesus affirming them. He go, look, you've been persecuted and they are really persecuted. Like it wasn't like the persecution, like, hey, you're a Christian, you're a bad person, or they just yelled at you or, or they, they, they said some mean words about you. No, they killed you. Like you, they, they lived in a very polytheistic culture, and if you didn't worship the right gods, you could be killed for it. And so they would kill Christians on a regular basis. And so you see them killing Christians. You see uh, many times them throwing, being thrown into the Colosseum. You see them being lit on fire. You see Antipas, the guy's name here. The, look, this is what's crazy. The way this guy died, and the reason I think Jesus even mentions him, is he was slow roasted in a large brass pot. Like, it, it's one thing to just go, I'm going to kill Christians. It's another thing. They would purposefully put them through the worst things because they would go, hey, if you continue to do this, this is where you're going to be. 
And to Antipas, who literally, it's, it's his name means to go in front of somebody else to, to take their suffering. He, he did exactly that. And so he's going, hey, I, I'm telling you, he did an incredible job in this. And I understand that you are going through suffering. At the same time, they had Emperor Domitian. And Emperor, Emperor Domitian was a piece of work. Like he was a very hated emperor. So much so that even his wife plotted against him to kill him. Like that's a, that's a pretty bad place to be in. And so he, he would do this. The emperors, every time they would die, they would basically, they would would die and then somebody would say now they are a deity well emperor Domitian didn't want to be wait to die to be called a deity he decided I'm a deity now so so he said so I'm God and you have to worship me he goes here's the deal if you worship me first you can worship all your other gods but you have to worship me first and so in the polytheistic culture of there everybody else had a fine time with that but the Christians were like we can't do that and so they would be killed for that and what's interesting is you'll see the Jewish people, they had the right to worship in their own way, but when Christians separated themselves from the Jewish people, they were killed for this. And so they had a choice. Do I follow after God or do I do this on the side to make it look like I'm following Domitian or make it look like I'm following Zeus or Athena or Dionysus? And so you, you see him say, literally, he says, you're sitting at the throne of Satan. What's interesting is you actually have a lot of demonic activity there. They had a lot of oracles. They had people that had the ability to supposedly tell the future. Let me just say this. If you ever go to a fortune teller or somebody that has to tell the future, that's demonic. I just want you to understand that. Like that's demonic. Like that's not a... Demons. All right. So, <laughs> sorry. I just didn't expect clapping there. Uh, like that, that's a demonic thing. And so they had this going on there on top of the, the temple of Zeus. Here's what's interesting about the temple of Zeus is that when the Germans took over that area, they took the temple of Zeus with them. And they actually said Hitler took the altar of Zeus and made one that just looked just like it so that he could give his demonic messages. So like, this is, this is a high demonic activity. Like I need you to understand that. And Jesus sees this. He goes, I need you to know, look, I understand you're going through a lot right now. You're going through a lot. What you're walking through is a lot. You're walking through a lot of persecution, but I need you to understand this. I understand you're walking through persecution. I understand you're in a tough place, but you have to continue to do the right thing. And that's a hard thing to do. That's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to do when persecution is around. It's a hard thing to do when everybody's against us. It's a hard thing to do with what I really want to do is the opposite of what God calls me to do. And so he's saying, hey, this is what I need you to do. And he actually, he, he says it this way. He goes, I have a couple complaints against you. In verse 14, he says, I have a few complaints against you. He says, you tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered by idols and by committing sexual sin. In the same way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who will follow the same teaching. Now it says that you're eating food offered to idols. And here, here's why that's the big deal. One, you're, they weren't supposed to do that. But two, in order to eat food that was offered to idols, you had to be at the festival for that, that, that Zeus or Aphrodite or Athena. And so what the Christians were going like, I want to follow after God, but I don't want to miss the party. And, and the problem with that was this, is that when you showed up to the party, you were showing everybody else, I claim to be a Christian, but I'm also supporting this God. He's going, so you don't need to do that. On top of that, the other thing the Nicolaitans were okay with, which is interesting because we don't see this right now, is they were okay with ritual sexual offerings to God. And, and so what would happen back in those days is you would go to worship certain gods, especially like Aphrodite, and you would go to that temple and they would have temple prostitutes there and you would have sex with the temple prostitute to worship that God. You can imagine a lot of men were pro-Aphrodite. 
And on top of it, some of them would even go to the next level and go, oh, we really want to worship the God. And they would hold these large orgies. And so sexual sin was a part of worshiping these other gods. And what the Nicolaitans would say, hey, it's okay. We can worship God by having sex with each other. <laughs> no. It's actually the reason why, if you ever see in the Bible, if any, any, any older woman comes up to you, younger ladies, and says, you shouldn't have your hair short because it says in the Bible you shouldn't have your hair short. The reason they said that is because the temple prostitutes in those times would shave their head to show that they're temple prostitutes. That's why it says that in the Bible, not because you're not allowed to have short hair. And so the problem was, the problem was, is what was happening was the Christians in those areas were going, hey, we want the best of both worlds. We want to do both things. We want, we want to have both sides. And you, what you had to do is you had people that were claiming to be Christian, but weren't living out the lifestyle and they were okay with it. And they were okay with it. Guys, which makes sense. Because we see this nowadays, don't we? We want both. Like, I want the eternal stuff that God brings. Like, I want the peace, the joy. I want heaven. That sounds like a much better place than hell. Like, I, I want that. But I also want to do this other stuff, right? I want to do the things that the world is doing. I want to do the things that, that is sin. And, and let's just be honest. The reason this is tough is because sin is very attractive. Sin is fun. If sin wasn't fun, we wouldn't want to do it. Like, if it wasn't a little bit fun to gossip about somebody, we wouldn't do it, right? That, that feeling you get, you're like, hey, guess what? Oh, man this is what they did. Oh, they're an idiot. That's awesome. If, if the only thing that happened when you gossiped and you felt bad that you were talking about somebody else, you wouldn't do it anymore, right? Like in the same way, is sex before marriage fun? Absolutely it is. Of course it is. Or else nobody would do it. If the only thing sex brought was babies and it wasn't fun, we would never talk about it. Because none of you would be like, yeah, I want to have sex. Why? You're trying to have a kid? Right, uh, like you got to understand, it's, it's because it, it's fun. It's because we want to be a part of it. And so what we do, especially here in America, is we go, I want the good God stuff, but I also want to do the other things. And what he's talking about, the danger is this. It's not that these people are, are starting to go down the other road and leaving Christianity. It's saying that they, they do this. They say, I am Christian and I believe this is okay. That's the dangerous part. In fact, I would say those are the most dangerous Christians is the ones that have said, I am Christian, but I think this is okay to be as a Christian. There's a, there's a term that you see in the Bible. It's called apostate. It's called apostate. And these are anybody that adds to or takes away from Christianity. Adds to or takes away from Christianity and still claims to be a Christian. And what they are doing is this, is they are getting other people to follow them down the wrong path. See, the, wor the worst thing that God wants to have you do is not, not follow him, but take other people with you. And so the reason he's talking about this is because the problem that is happening is there are people that are doing both things and they're going, this is okay. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. You can do it too. You can do it too. And we see this happen in culture all the times, right? We see a lot of people claiming to be Christian. Like we see politicians claiming to be Christian. We're like, no, you're not. Like I, I cringe, at, this is so wrong. I cringe every time I see an Instagram profile with a verse in it. Guys and girls. Not, not because it's always bad, because I'm afraid of what it's gonna be underneath the verse. And, and because, 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 here's why. It's because we're claiming to be one thing but we're very much showing something else. That's the danger that he's talking about. We're claiming to be one thing, but we're showing something else. We're claiming to be this, but we're showing something else. And here's the other thing that happens to it. As many times you'll hear people say this, well, I'm just spiritual. Can I just tell you that's dangerous? I, I need you to think about this. There is a spiritual side to life. Everything is spiritual. 
but there's also two sides. So whenever I hear people go, I'm just spiritual, that's dangerous. What side are you talking to? Because I know this, the other side would love to talk to you. The other side would love to be a part of your life. And so we can't just be spiritual. We can't just add things to what it looks like to follow after God. We can't just say, this is what it looks like. And here's why, here's why. When we take away or add to Christianity, we remove the power and the relationship. We remove the power and we remove the relationship. Look, when we don't follow God in the way that we're asked to, we lose the relationship with him. We do, because what we've done is we've walked away from him. We still think he's there, but he's waiting for us to turn back to him. And we lose the power that goes along with it, which means this. Many of you, you may be sitting here going, man, I don't understand why my relationship with God never grows. I don't understand why I never feel like God's moving in my life. Maybe it's because you've added to your faith. Maybe because you've said, you know, that part of the Bible, I don't really pay attention to. That part of the Bible is not something that I really want to do. Or this is something somebody else does, and I think it's something that I need to add to it. Now, I'll say this too. The center of apostasy, many times, the reason many people are this way, and you see it here and also in regular life, is is sexual sin. There's something about sexual sin that leads people to go the, the opposite direction. There's something about sexual sin where people feel like, I need to claim to be a Christian, but I'm gonna do this my own way. And I see this all the time. The number of of men and women that I have known, that I have thought, man, they're following after God, that all of a sudden just left their spouses to go off with something else, somebody else, and just left their faith. Now, they would still claim to be Christian and then go off somewhere else. It's always sexual sin. It's always sexual sin. And, And they always say the same thing. I deserve it. I stayed with this person this long. I deserve it. Or with a single, well, God hasn't given me a spouse, so I deserve it. Well, God hasn't come through, so I can, I can do this. You know, it, it's just pornography. It's not, you know, I'm not having sex with somebody. I think we always have to be very careful whenever we tell God we deserve something. That's what we do. I know this is making a lot of you uncomfortable. That's okay. Look, whenever we talk about sex, for some reason, we're very uncomfortable by it. Yet if we watch it in a TV show, it's perfectly fine. And so we're walking through this. Look, I'll tell you this. The most people I ever see leave the church in your age group is because they're, it's sexual sin that's the problem. It's, nobody even knows about it, but they end up falling off. Why? Well, because they're doing something that they know they know ought to do. And they're going, well, somebody judge me. No, no, nobody's judging you. Somebody's just pointing out the thing that you're doing wrong. And it's not that we don't love you. It's not that we don't want you around. But there's, there's a problem that happens when I continue to follow after God in a way that God doesn't want me to, where I'm no longer in relationship nor have the power, so I don't feel the need to be a part of it anymore. So that's what's happening here is they're walking away from God. They're walking away from God. And, and here's, here's why I say this. This is why this is so important, because the same thing is happening in the American church. In the same way in Pergamum right now, if you went there, there would not be a Christian church. The same thing can happen here. In fact, if you don't believe me, look at Europe. Europe's done the same exact thing. They followed the same exact model. This tends to happen over time. So we have to check ourselves. We have to be ready for these things. And here's why. Here's why. I love people, well, the church needs to do this. You're the church. The church is not a building. The church is not Mark. The church is not the pastors. You're the church. So if the church doesn't understand these things, the church is going to fall apart. 
See, that's why we talk about this. This is why we tell you these things. This is why we walk through these things. This is why we, we go, hey, you gotta pay attention to this because we need you to be the church. We need you to reach this next generation. We need you to be a part of this. And so I want you to, to warn you, to help you understand, like if we don't do these things, this is what's going to happen. So how do we keep from falling into the same trap as the church in Pergamum? How do we keep ourselves from, from going that way? How do we make sure that our life is not half with God and half with the things that we're not supposed to do? We ask ourselves tough questions. We ask ourselves tough questions. And here's the first question, you can write this down. Is my identity being shaped by God or culture? Is my identity being shaped by God or culture? Do I care more about the way the world sees me or the way God sees me? Do I care more about the person next to me, how they would look at me versus what God is doing right now? Do I worry if other people knew that I'm a Christian? Here's the, here's the big one. Do I shy away from truth-telling Christians in my life? Am I in community with the church and do I have people around me who follow God? The first thing that will go when you're doing something you know you shouldn't do is your community. Every time. Every time. Because you don't want to hear from other people. And I hear people say, oh, they're just judging me. Guys, judgment is heaven or hell. None of us are doing that. None of us have that power. We don't. We're just pointing something out. And if you didn't know this, in the Bible, it actually tells us as Christians to tell other people in love what we see. It tells us to do these things, but people don't like it. People don't want to hear these things. I, I don't like it either. Can I just be honest? I don't like it when somebody tells me I'm wrong. I don't. In fact, if you told me there was something that was wrong, I would immediately tell you you were wrong. Maybe later on I would admit it. Like, I don't like it when my wife tells me that I'm wrong. I really hate that. I don't. I don't, I don't like it. Man, my kid has called me out before, and I'm like, crap, he's nine. And I'm sitting there going, I'm afraid this is a power play. He wants to take over the house. But we don't like it. And look, I'm not saying in the church, everyone just gets to come up to you and tell you what's wrong with you. That's not the way it works. Please don't do that. The goal is to have a community of people, some people you trust, people that actually care about you, that can be honest with you. If you don't have that, you are probably doing something that you're not supposed to do. It's just true. It's, it's the way. If I don't have community, I'm going to do something because I know nobody's going to check me on it. We need other people in our lives. And here's the second question. This is the question nobody likes. Am I compromising my beliefs sexually? Now, I, I know this is what happens every time. Because when I was your age, I thought the same thing. Well, that's easy for you to say. You're old and you're married. And you can have sex whenever you want, which is what you believe when you're young, which is not true. And it's easy to look at me and go, well, you're already at that place, so it's easy for you to say that. And here's what I'd rather you believe. I've been in ministry now for 20 years, and I've seen a lot of 18 to 29-year-olds. And despite the fact that you think you're special, everyone does the same stupid things. We run into the same problems. We walk through the same things. Everyone thinks, well, it's different with this person or it's different with that person. And you see the same thing over and over again. So when I'm telling you this, I'm not telling you from the side of like, man, you need to stop doing this because I get to and you don't. It's because I'm telling you this because I've watched it happen over and over again, how sexual sin affects people. And hear me on this, sexual sin is not a single problem. It's not a singles problem. Okay, and I'll tell you this, when you talk about sexual sin in big church, big church, wow. In a, 
in the main service. I, I feel like I'm sticking youth pastor still in big church. When you talk about it in the main auditorium, guess what? People don't like it either. I have people that will regularly come up to me. If I talk about pornography in church, I know I'm going to get emails. We should stop talking about that. No, we shouldn't because everybody's dealing with it. Look, guys, sexual sin is still a problem when you get married. It's something you have to deal with. So hear me on this. If you don't deal, if you don't learn how to deal with sexual sin at this point, you will still be dealing with it even more at the next. Like if you don't have the ability to deal with pornography right now, you will be dealing with it in marriage. Because I, I meet with young married men on a regular basis, on a regular basis. Said my wife just found out. And look, they're in a tough place now because they, they've ruptured trust. And they're like, I've, I've been dealing with this for so long. I'm like, well, I, look, how do we move forward from now? But man, if you can deal with it now, if you can start to understand how to walk through it now, in the same way, it's not like you get married and all of a sudden, I, I love it when guys say like, I don't see any other woman but my wife. That's not true. We're not blind. But if I don't learn how to bounce my eyes now, if I don't learn how to stop lusting after women when I'm single, I'm still gonna do it when I'm married. We're gonna continue to do these things in the same way with pornography. Look, I, I hear all that, well, at least I'm not doing this. No, no, it's, it's still a problem. I, I think I've said this before, but pornography is now a part, uh, two-thirds of divorces list pornography as one of the reasons. And, and so we're, we're telling you these things. I'm talking about sexual sin, not because it's a bigger sin, but because the consequences are. The consequences are always higher. The consequences are always more. And so many times with sexual sin, we go, but you're taking something away from me. Look, I don't want you to look at, at sexual sin as something that I'm taking away from you, but rather you're choosing to trust God with your relationship. Because, because when you read the Bible, when you read the Bible, everything God calls us to do is about relationship. Everything. It's about strengthening your relationship with him and other people, every single thing. So when he tells us not to do something, he's saying, because it's going to hurt you and your relationships. So what we're doing when we choose not to have sex before marriage, I'm not taking something away. I'm choosing to trust God. And can I ask you this? And I want you to be honest with yourself. Don't say this out loud. Do you trust that God has something better? Do you? Because I think that's actually the bigger problem is we don't trust that God has something better. We don't trust that a, a godly marriage is so much more than what we thought it could be. Maybe it's because of something we've seen before. Maybe because it's failed every time we've walked forward. But God has something more. And the reason he's telling you these things is not to take something away from you, but to give you something more. To give you something more. So don't fall into the trap of, of saying, well, I just think it's different from me. The number of people that have said... <laughs> And somebody, well, we prayed about it. And God said it was okay. <laughs> Look, there's things in life you need to pray about, and there's things you don't need to pray about. Like, I don't need to pray whether or not it's okay to murder someone. <laughs> like, I don't need to pray whether or not it's okay to steal from a company. Like, I don't need to pray whether or not it's okay to gossip. In the same way, I don't need to pray whether or not it's okay to have sex before marriage. Why? Because it says it. Should I pray about who I'm going to marry? Absolutely. Should I pray about the job that I should have? Absolutely. Should I pray about the church that I'm going to be at? Absolutely. Is there a lot of things in life to pray about? Yes, there's a lot. But when the Bible already says it, we don't need to pray about it. We don't need to pray about it. And I, I'll tell you the same thing. If you get to a place where these words come out of your mouth, watch yourself. I deserve it. I deserve it. Well, I've been following God this long and he hasn't done anything. 
so I deserve it. Well, I've been doing these things. Well, I, I deserve it. Look, the reason we talk about sexual sin is not for you to give something up, but for you to gain something. Here's, here's the last one, last uh, point here. It says, are my beliefs based off the Bible or what sounds good? Guys, there are churches now, churches, that don't believe parts of the Bible. Like they're like, everything Paul said, we're gonna put that to the side. Old Testament, not anymore. Like we're gonna just focus on this. And the problem that happens, like I said before, you lose a relationship and you lose the power. There's nothing to it. It's also the reason why those churches aren't growing. But like we, what, what am I basing my beliefs off of? Is it because it sounded good? Is it because I, I read it and somebody's like, man, this is a good idea and so I should do that? Is it somebody famous said it? Like, what, what is the reason that I believe what I believe? Because we have to have a basis for it. Because you gotta understand, when the Bible walks out, so does our entire belief system. So does the power, so does the relationship, so does everything that we have. We've gotta have a standard for what we look at and look for in life. So is, are my beliefs based off of those things? And so the question is this. So I have been doing something that's not right, which I have been in the same case. We've all been in the same place. I'm, I'm doing this. I'm apostate in this way or that way. I've decided to do these things with my life. What should I do? God has a very easy way back. Very easy way back. And in Revelation 2.16, it says this. It says, repent of your sin. That's the easy part. The next part sounds very violent. It says, or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So here, here's the deal. And you may not have known this when you became a Christian, but when you become a Christian and you profess to be a Christian, but you're also saying things that are wrong, God's not happy about that. Like when you go, I'm a Christian, everyone can do whatever they want. That's when the Jesus is coming after you with the sword of his mouth. But the thing that he talks about in there is repent. And we don't like the word repent, but I, I gotta tell you this, repentance is a gift. And here's why, just listen to me on this. If you sinned against somebody else the same amount that you've sinned against God, do you think that person would be okay with you just saying, sorry, I'm not gonna do it again? My wife wouldn't. My parents wouldn't. I wouldn't. Because do you realize how amazing that is? Like, now, if you're part of other religious sects, they may tell you you gotta do different things. But God says, no, 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 just repent. He doesn't say you have to do this many nice things. You have to, to read the Bible this amount of time. You have to do this many things. He goes, admit that you've done something wrong, which requires humility, is not easy, and start to walk again with me. So he's not saying you need to sit in shame or guilt. In fact, that's what we do to ourselves many times. God's not telling us to do that. He says, hey, if you're doing the wrong thing, look, repent, admit that you're wrong, start walking with me, and we're good. We're good. And the reason we have a hard time with that is because we don't see that anywhere else in the world because nobody else has shown us that because we're human and we're not good at that, but God is. God's like, hey, if you messed up, look, I understand you're human. You've messed up, repent, walk back with me. It's a gift that we have to be able to walk forward with God. It's an incredible opportunity to restore relationship and to restore the power, but we have to admit it. We have to go, yeah, I did. I messed up, I messed up. And see, God doesn't just say, okay, repent, walk back with me. He goes, look, if you choose to follow after me, I'm going to give you some things. In Revelation 2.17, you see this. It says, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. I'm gonna explain this because you're like, what? 
and says that I will give to each one a white stone and on the stone that will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. So first off, the manna that is hidden. If you don't know what manna is in Egypt, uh, back when Moses was with the Israelites in Egypt, the way God fed the people was he brought down manna from heaven. It was like a bread light substance that they, they lived off of. And so this makes sense to them, to us, we'd never seen it before. He goes, what is hidden manna? It's, it's God saying, I will provide for you. Because I think that's what sometimes what happens as Christians is we go, yeah, but if I do that, then how is this going to happen? Like, if I leave that person I'm not supposed to be with, will God give me somebody else? Like, if I tell my workplace that I'm a Christian, and I lose my job, will God still provide for me? Here's what God's saying. In the, he goes, if you stand up for me, I will provide for you. He's saying that. He's reminding us. He's going, look, if you follow after me, I will take care of you. I will take care of you. And then it goes on to say this. It says, in each one, I will give a white stone, a white stone. And the stone will be engraved a new name on it that no one understands except the one who receives it. Now, the white stone, it's like, wait, why would, cool. Why do I get a stone? Like, this doesn't mean, once again, this doesn't mean anything to us today. Like, all right, I got a white stone from God. Cool. Uh, Here's what that was. And there's a couple different ideas of this. One thing is they would have these polished white stones that they would give to people as tickets to go to the, uh, the, the play or whatever was going on in the amphitheater. So it was the idea that he's giving you this white stone that you now have a ticket to heaven. Now, another idea of this, and this is why I say this, not, not, none of these are exact opposite, is that they would say that a judge at that time would have a white stone and a black stone. And if you were guilty he put the black stone forward. And if you were not guilty, he put the white stone forward. And so what, what he's saying in this moment, he's going, hey, you will receive a white stone, which means this, I will deem you not guilty. I will see you as pure. I, I will no longer see your sin. I will no longer see those problems. In fact, it says this, he goes, I will give you a new name. I'll give you a new name. See, we don't do this anymore. I'm not saying that we should start doing it. But back in those days when you became a Christian to to show that you are living a new life, that you have left that old life and you're going to a new life, they would give you a new Christian name. And this would be your new name and it'd be your new identity. And it, it would give you that understanding that what I did before no longer has precedent in my life. God no longer sees my old life. God no longer sees what I did before. God no longer sees my problems. He no longer sees the, the, the things that I have a hard time walking through. He no longer sees my sin. He sees me as clean and righteous. And not only that, but he's giving me this new name because he wants to give me a new life. He, he's got a purpose that's bigger for me. He's got relationships that are stronger. He's got more for me in my life, but I just have to believe that it's there. Young adults, hear me on this. The thing that you've got to get you've got to believe is that God has something better. And everything he has, he wants to give to you. But we've got to decide to walk with him. So I I tell you guys these things, not, look, once again, I don't want to tell you these things so you feel bad. I want you to tell you these things as kind of like, hey, I'm letting you know about this because I want something to be better for you. I want you to have an incredible purpose in your life. I want you to do incredible things. I want you to have incredible marriages. I want you to be able to raise kids in a godly home and show them what it's like, even though that's something you never had. I want something more for you. And God says it's there. We just have to trust that he has it. So what's your next step? 
I think the thing we all must do is, is really ask ourselves those three questions. Is my identity in God or culture? Am I deciding that sex is more important than following after God? Or are my beliefs based on something other than what God says? Here's what you do. You get in a group of people and you ask them, hey, do you see something that I don't see? Which is a dangerous thing to ask. And we don't want to hear the answer. But if you have people that will answer, you're in the right place. We've got to take those next steps. Why? Because if we don't, we will end up in the same place. We'll be at a church with less people, with no one following after God and wondering how we got here. And the answer is, we decided to try to do both. I want to follow God and I want culture. I'm just giving you the wisdom. It's always worth it when you follow God. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you that you are a God that loves us. You're a God that cares for us. You're a God that gives us second and third chances. God, I pray that we see your forgiveness as a gift. God, you're not trying to hold anything over us at all. You just want us to come back to you. You want a relationship with us, but not only that, but you want to give us something more. God, I pray that we would trust you in that, that we would understand you in that, and we would take that next step with you. God, I pray that you bless the time in small groups. God, I pray that it's an honest time, but also a time of growth and understanding. God, I just thank you that we have this time here today. I thank you that we get the opportunity to talk about how we can follow after you. God, we thank you for that, and in Jesus' name I pray, amen.